Good morning, loved ones. Glad to see everybody here today. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 139. We'll spend a little bit of time in Psalm 139, so please open up there. Um, One of the announcements, we'll have to figure that out because this coming Saturday is July 2nd. So I'm not sure where that puts the Saturday donut breakfast. So Carlos, when we we find out, we'll have Dick contact you guys. Okay. We need to get a bigger thing. I got too big a stuff. <clears throat> so, well, good to see everybody. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll dig into this. Father, just thank you that we can come into your presence, that we can... Essentially, Lord, we are never out of your presence. And Father, we just thank you that we can enter your throne room with grace and mercy showered upon us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we come here today, we, we come to worship him. We come to worship you in our song and in our giving and in the preaching of your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would accompany the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to what it has to say and that, Father, it would be comforting and convicting and it would be encouraging and edifying all in the same, that you would be glorified, Lord, that our hearts would be turned to you and that our eyes would see you for who you are. Lord, thank you for being such a great God. Thank you for the salvation that you give us, Lord. Thank you for this incredible gift that you have laid before us, Lord, and just Pray now, Lord, that you would help us in your word, help me in your word to make it understandable, Father. And if it's not, I pray that your spirit would make it understandable to the hearts of us hearing it. So, Father, please do a work in us today. In your name, amen. So as we've been going through these attributes of God, some of the attributes I I can understand this particular attribute that we talk about today in general is a, it, this one was tough for me. This is a hard one for me to, to grapple with. It's a hard one for my mind to get around. So, for example, like all knowledge or God's omniscience, him being all-knowing, that one's easy because there's a lot of times I want to be all-knowing, right? I want to be all-knowing and I want to be uh the know-it-all. I'm sorry, this thing is getting caught or something. There we, there we go. So I can understand that one. Or he's omnipotent, where he's all-powerful, right? We all like to have that one. But the title that I have here today is Nowhere to Hide. There's nowhere we can run from the presence of God because God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere. He is everywhere, all the time. There is nothing that can contain him. As Solomon is building the house, as he's building the 
the temple of God in 1 Kings 8.27, he says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So God is so massive, God is so big that there is nothing that can contain him and yet his presence fills everything. And that is because he is spirit. And we read this in John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God is spirit. He has no form. So he can be everywhere all the time. Now, we had a term called antipromorphosis, which means that it's, uh, it's human characteristics given to the divine that we see in Scripture. But Scripture is also clear that God is spirit. He's without any spatial limitations. He's not confined to a single location. So he is not in heaven and then all of a sudden he's on earth, that means he's not in heaven. No, he's everywhere all the time. And that's hard for me to grapple with in my mind because as finite beings that we are, we have spatial limitations. You are here at Faith Bible Church in this building. You are not in California. So we have spatial limitations. And so this one was hard for me to grasp. But with that in mind, let's go, let's go forward with this. So Psalm 139, if we're there, David in this psalm, he gives us a glimpse of this incredible attribute as he tries to define it in the Word of God. Verses 7 through 10, this is what it says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So when we start off in this verse, we can look at one thing. David again, with a lot of these attributes that we looked at, David here in this psalm, he asks Two rhetorical questions. The two rhetorical questions are, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And the answer to that is, nowhere. Right? Nowhere. We can't go anywhere. We can't hide from anywhere. Are the verses not coming up? We can't hide from anywhere from God's presence. And that's what David is saying. And then he gives us somewhat of a compass. He gives us somewhat of a compass. And he says it this way. He says, if I ascend to heaven, which way is heaven? Heaven is up, right? So he gives us somewhat of a compass. It's north, it's up. He says, if I ascend up, you are there. If I ascend north, you are there. If I go to the grave or if I go to Sheol, you are there, which is down. If you go north, you go down, you got south. 
So I can't go anywhere north that you're not, and I can't go anywhere south that you're not. And then he sits there and he says this, the morning or the dawn, right? Where does the sun rise? In the east, right? Or the dawn, the morning or the dawn. And then he talks about the utmost parts of the sea. I don't think he's talking about the depths of the sea, but I think what theologians say is that David would be looking at the Mediterranean Sea, which would be due west of the holy city. So we have somewhat of a compass here that we can look at that David's saying. There's nowhere I can go. I can't go north and hide from you. I can't go south and hide from you. I can't go to the east and hide from you. And I can't go to the west to hide from you. I can't even go to the deepest parts of the ocean and hide from you. Because you are there. So what David is telling us is when we go to heaven, God is there. When we die, God is on the other side of the grave. And no matter where we go, he is in there. He is there. He is there in such a way, in fact, he is in there in such a way that he is so close, so close to you and I, that this is what David says, that your right hand shall hold me. That is how close the presence of God is to each one of us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 6, that there is one God and Father of all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. These alls tell us that whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, God is present everywhere. Nowhere to hide. So, with that in mind, point number one, God's presence fills the heavens. God's presence fills the heavens. His whole essence, his whole being fills the heavens. Psalms 2.4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God sits in heaven exalted. So in the heavens, we see that God in his presence, in all of his glory, and in all of his majesty, sits enthroned on high. This word heaven means heights. It means the loftiest of heights, the highest of heavens. And that's what the psalmist is saying, that God sits in the highest of heavens, the loftiest of heavens, the highest parts of heavens that we have. And he fills all of it with his splendor and his glory and his being. None of it is without his presence. It is always there and completely full. Psalms 11.4 The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. Isaiah the prophet puts it this way. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Listen to that. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. I have a recliner that I kick out and it's got my footstool. Imagine the immenseness of our God. Imagine how big our God is that he says, heaven is where I sit and I rest my feet on the earth. This is the massiveness of who God is. 
Jesus, in his, in his Sermon on the Mount, speaks of the throne being in heaven, Matthew 5.34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So we see that God is in the highest, the loftiest places of heaven, and he's enthroned. He is exalted in the highest of heavens, and his presence fills all of the heavens. This means also that his presence fills even the outer reaches of outer space. Think about it. When we sit and we look upon a stargazing sky, as we stargaze into the sky, and we sit there and we contemplate our insignificance in light of the glory of who God is and his universe, he fills it with his presence. He fills it with his presence and his being. Job talks about it. In Job 9, 8, he says, Who alone, talking about God, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? He stretched out the heavens. We are constantly finding deeper reaches of space by this telescope called the Hubble. It's finding greater and greater galaxies that are bigger than ours. Star systems that are, that are, that are bigger than ours. This is, this is what we have. And he feels that. I don't get that. My mind can't get there. That he feels all of that with all of his being and all of his presence. And he questions Job on it. He even questions Job on it in Job 38, 31 and 32. Can you bind the chains of the Pelias or loose the cords of Orion? He's talking about the constellations. And he's asking Job, can you bind those? Job's answer is no. Can God? Yeah. Why? Because he's there. He's there. Can you lead from Maseroth or their seasons? Or can you guide the bear with its children? And he's talking about the, the, this Orion, right? He's talking about Ursa Major. Do you guide the bear? Our constellations. He fills even outer space. He fills the entire heavens with his presence and yet at the same exact moment he fills all of the heavens with his glory and his majesty and his splendor and his presence he fills the earth with the same thing he fills the earth with the same thing god in his transcendent glory not only fills the heights of heaven with his presence but also the earth. Listen to what Moses says. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. There is no other. He reigns supreme in the heavens where he is seated and he reigns supreme on the earth where his presence is also. Rahab 
in the book of Joshua affirms what Moses says in, in chapter 2, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And we see that God intercedes in our activities. He has activities in the earth and yet still remains enthroned in heaven. This is mind-boggling. But this is who he is. This is who the Bible says he is. He does not depart from heaven to come down here. His presence is still in heaven even though he's here. Isn't that crazy? This is mind-boggling. This should cause our minds to tilt a little bit. To be like, wow, this is massive. And he's, he does. Uh, it, the Tower of Babel, Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. You want to know why we have different languages? It's because God confused the language of Babel. That's why we have different languages. But it says that he let us go down. And then again in Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis 18, 21, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. He comes down into the activities of men. Mount Sinai, Exodus nineteen twenty. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. This is where he is. He is present to oppose the proud in James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God comes down. He's in our affairs. But his presence is here on the earth and his presence is there in the heavens. Now, given the manifestation could be different in different areas, like Moses with the burning bush, right? Moses with the burning bush, there was God's presence. There was this manifestation of God in the burning bush, right? But it didn't mean that God still was not present in the idolatry of Egypt. He was still there present, even though he was talking to Moses at the bush. He was still very present and very active in Egypt with his people. That's the truth of what the word says. I don't get it sometimes. It just blows me away. But it's true. But it's true. So, if God fills the heavens and he fills the earth with his presence, that means that he has no territorial restrictions. He has no territorial restrictions. Listen to Jeremiah 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? This is what he says about him. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I fill heaven and earth. And there's nowhere, brothers and sisters, there's nowhere we can go to hide from him. That means the scary thing is there is no secret sin hidden from him. We can't go into our closet and shut our door and think we're hiding from God. 
Guess what? He's with you in that closet in your sin. That should be frightening to us. Frightening to us. So if God fills the heavens and he fills the earth, then that means his presence also is in hell. His presence also is in hell. Now, hell is a place that Jesus describes as a place where there is gnashing and weeping and gnashing of teeth, utter darkness. It is a real place. In Matthew eight twelve. he says this, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an awful place. But God's presence fills even the darkness of hell. So, hell is a place. This is where God is. In this place is where God personally carries out his vengeance against unrepentant sinners. I want you all to hear this. This is a place where God carries out personally all of his vengeance. He is inflicting his unrelentless wrath on sinners that remain unrepentant. He is there doing this. It is not the demons doing this. It is not the devil doing this. It is God himself in all of his being filling all of hell in all of his presence that is inflicting his wrath. His perfect, holy, white-hot wrath on sinners for eternity. Not for a time, but for eternity. This is the place where he is judge, jury, and executioner. This is a place where unbelievers drink the wine of God's wrath and they are tormented with fire and brimstone. Listen to Revelation 14.10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. God's presence is there. Now, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 gives us a different view here, right? 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Oh, well, you just told me, Mark, that God's presence is in hell. That verse says that they will escape his presence. Now, we have to look at what the word presence means there. The word presence there, it means countenance or face. It means that what has happened is God will turn his face. His gracious gaze is not upon them. But his wrathful vengeance is there. He will turn his face away from those in hell. Unbelievers are relationally separated from him. But his presence will be in hell, inflicting his vengeance. So we see where God fills all things. He fills the heavens with his presence. He fills the earth with his presence. He fills hell with his presence 
all at the same time. He is everywhere present. So now what about us? We're believers. The Bible says that God's presence does what? It fills us. He is in us. That's what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a marvelous, beautiful, glorious, gracious thing that upon salvation, God's Holy Spirit indwells us. See, the world can't receive him because he doesn't know him. But we receive him because he what? He lives in us. He is in us. The power, the strength, the might of an almighty God lives in us. We have to remember as we do these attributes that they are common of the whole trinity. It's not God the Father is all-powerful. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all-powerful. They are one God. And they were all powerful. They were all all present. They were all holy and glorious. They were all these things. Again, Jesus in John 15, 4 says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This word abide means take up abode, live in. We are to live in Christ. We are to take our abode up in Christ, and Christ takes his abode up in us. It's such a glorious, beautiful picture. John 17, 23. I in them and you in me. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me, even as, I, even as you love me. I in them and you in me. Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit in us. God the Father in us. John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is God's dwelling place, right? God's dwelling place. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit is in us. Paul makes that very clear. Either we live according to the Spirit or we live according to the flesh. We can't do both. Either the Spirit is going to be what dominates our life and we are controlled by the Spirit or we're going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's a battle. But the Spirit lives in us, strengthens us. Listen to Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh. He's talking about us. He's talking about the redeemed. He's talking about the chosen of God. He's talking about those who've been reconciled to God. He's talking about those who have been uh, transformed by God. He's talking about those that the Spirit lives in. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, takes up His abode in you, lives in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In all three of those verses, Paul is adamant with the fact that the Holy Spirit does what? Dwells in you. Not outside of you, not next to you. He's not your roommate. He's not your spouse, but he dwells in you. He dwells in you. You are the temple of God in which the Holy Spirit dwells. That's what 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul's reasoning is brilliant. It is not faulty at all. And that's what he says. Since we are inhibited by the Holy Spirit, since the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are not our own. Well, how come I'm not my own, Paul? Because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the triune God dwells within us. Jesus in us, the Father and His Holy Spirit within us. This is where He lives. His presence, His presence is there. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? This is going to be both encouraging and is going to be, I hope, Lord willing, convicting to us but this is what it means for us hebrews 13 5 keep your life free from the love of money be content with what you have for he said i will never leave you nor forsake you so what's it mean for us it means god never leaves us and he never forsakes us right we see jesus cry out on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me we know those things. Lama, Lama, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it felt like, what it was like to be forsaken by his Father, but he reassures us through the writing of the Hebrew writer that he will never leave us or forsake us. That means he is always with us. This brings comfort to our hearts. Right? Doesn't it? It brings comfort to our heart to know that Christ is always with us. The Almighty is always with us. But this also means, as it brings comfort to the heart, that it is going, it is going to afflict your conscience. It is going to afflict your conscience, meaning that God's presence, it will take out sinful diseases out of our soul. He's in the business of cleaning us up. He never says in the Bible, clean your act up and then come to me. 
He says, no, you come to me just how you are and I will do the cleaning process. His presence in us takes out the sinful diseases of our souls, but yet God's presence also brings us spiritual healing to the heart. This is him cleansing us out. It's it's dealing with our hearts. And we talked about it earlier. This means we should be careful with what we watch on TV. What we allow our eyes to see and enter our minds and dwell in our hearts because that's where Christ is. So when we are listening to music or we are watching TV that is not glorifying to God, He is right there with you. Think about it. Just think about it this way. Think about a movie that you watch and you shouldn't be watching it and what would Jesus say if he was sitting right next to you while you were watching it? Well, he is right next to you while you're watching it. His presence is there. Brothers and sisters, this is why we have to have gospel-driven holiness. Because Christ is present with us. Think about how we talk, how we talk about others. That's why there's commands. In Ephesians, Martin read it. Speak truth to one another in love. We read it already in Sunday school. Husbands, do not be harsh with your wives. How we speak to each other. Why? Because Christ is with us. He's in our presence. Think about what you watch, what you listen to. Is it worth Christ on the cross? And is it worth Him being right there with you when you do it? The holy, unblemished, perfect Lamb of God who gave His life so you could have that sin? This should be convicting to us. We can't change locations to get away from God. He's there too. If we're having a difficult time here, there's nowhere where we can run to get away from Him or His will. But in difficult times, we can trust that we're never alone because he'll never leave us or forsake us. In those difficult times, he is always there with us. If it's hard times with trials, if it's hard times with tribulations, he is there. Not which is some of them, but all of them. He's there in every trial. He's there in every tribulation. Do you guys believe that? Do you guys know that? Do you know that the Almighty God, it doesn't matter how down you are, how depressed you get, he is with you he is your biggest cheerleader he is the one that's saying it's okay to feel pain but it's not okay for the pain to win do we get that sometimes we have people hurt us we have things in our lives that that hammer us 
We have bad things that happen to us that we have all this emotional pain. Brothers and sisters, it is all right to feel the emotional pain, but it is not all right for you to let that pain win. Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Don't let it win. He is with you in all your trials and all your tribulations. But He is also with us in all of our joys and in all of our triumphs. He's with us. He's rejoicing with us when we're joyful. That's where He is because He's in us. His presence fills everything. God is sufficient all the time in every area of our life. Never think in your highs or in your lows that God is not sufficient. He is more than sufficient. Guess who's not sufficient? You and I. We are the ones who aren't sufficient. But He is sufficient. And brothers and sisters, He dwells in you. Always with you. Always with you. Stephen Lawson, as we, as we close this up, Stephen Lawson says this, We must allow our minds to be elevated and expanded by this truth of the omnipresence of God. We must have our hearts enlarged to soar to the heights of heaven with renewed trust in Him. When this reality about God grips our hearts, we will be humbled and give Him the praise He rightly deserves. We can never escape God, not in this life or the life to come. A truth that is both convicting and comforting. So, brothers and sisters, may our hearts be consumed. May they be consumed today by knowing, <coughs> by knowing the beauty of God's holiness. By knowing the supreme supremacy of His sovereignty by holding on to the abundance of His goodness, the mercifulness of His grace, and the richness of His love. And it's by riveted by the awesomeness of His power, the infiniteness of His knowledge, and the glory of His presence. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time. Just pray now, Lord, that You would Help us to not let this just be knowledge, Lord. But please, let this hit our hearts, Lord, and convict us, yet encourage us, and move us more towards Christ-likeness. Lord, the most important thing about us is what we think of you. So help us keep you lofty, exalted, in the glory and splendor and majesty of who you are. But yet, Lord, let us be humble to know that you rejoice when we rejoice and you weep when we weep and that in our deepest, darkest times, you are there, Lord, and you bring light to our hearts. Father, please, I beg of you, do this for those at Faith Bible Church, Lord. Do this for me. Do this for your church universal, Lord. That you would 
receive the glory due your name. Amen. Please, let's stand as we sing our last song.